This is outrageous. Where are the dice goblins who come in to take the bad dice away? Where are they? This kind of behavior is never tolerated in Barovia. You roll like that, they put you in dice jail. Right away. No rerolls, no nothing. Dice apps? We have a special jail for dice apps. You roll one, right to dice jail. You roll off the table, right to dice jail, right away. Roll too high, dice jail. Too low, dice jail. You bounce out of the dice tray, you are right to dice jail. You roll too many 20s, believe it or not, dice jail. You don't roll 20s, also jail. 20s, no 20s. Player rolls a critical hit and there aren't enough dice, believe it or not, dice jail, right away. We have the best dice in the world because of dice jail. Do you want to have the best dice in the world? Get a dice jail from rpgbot.net slash easyrollerdice. Hey folks at home, it's Randall from the RPGbot.podcast, and today I want to talk to you about Described, spelled D-S-C-R-Y-B. Describe is just like box text from your favorite adventure book, but it's designed to be read aloud in your own campaign. Free your creative energy and time for all other aspects of planning and running the perfect adventure, and stay ahead of your wayward party. In 2021, Describe received an Any Award for Best Online Content. Today, they have over 7,000 scenes, with dozens of new scenes coming on on the average day. Currently, there's nine collections of scenes. Places, monsters, spells, cartographer, characters, items, planes, dialogue, and Enchanter Academy, and others are planned in the future. The scenes are set in the world of epic fantasy like many of your favorite RPGs. If you are ready to have professional authors help you write your next adventure, visit Describe.com slash RPGbot. That's D-S-C-R-Y-B dot com slash RPGbot. Use the code RPGbot at checkout to get 10% off your first subscription payment. Today's episode is sponsored by Audible. Audible is the world's largest provider of spoken word audio, including some of our favorite audiobooks like Game Wizards by John Peterson. To sign up for a free trial and to get a free audiobook, visit audibletrial.com slash rpgbot. RPGbot.news. I'm Randall James, and with me is Tyler Kamstra. Hi, everybody. All right, Tyler, what is happening? Well, today we got our hands on Pathfinder 2nd Edition's new supplement, Book of the Dead. Now we're a little bit behind. This came out in April 2022. It's a little bit into May, but uh, we've read through the book, and it's super great, and I'm very excited to talk about it. Now, which Book of the Dead is this? Is this, is this the Necronomicon? Uh, no, it is the Liberus Mortis. No, it, it's just called Book of the Dead. Okay. Uh, there, There's pictures of happy-looking skeletons on the front, you know, all smiles. It's a very cool supplement. You got a little setting information. You got some character options. You've got an adventure. You've got a bunch of monsters. <laughs> like, there is something for everyone in here if you're going to play pathfinder second edition and even if you're playing other games there's actually some really cool storytelling devices in here and like lore that you could borrow so this is a really good book there's a lot to see here yeah i want to agree with that like i think both the storytelling and the setup of like what it means to be undead is hugely borrowable uh the settings are hugely borrowable so i want to go ahead and broach i think what what is going to be one of the first controversies we have to face unless they've resolved it, and I just haven't faced it yet. There's a a person who becomes undead who names their kingdom after themselves. And is that person in kingdom Geb or Jeb? <laughs> uh, I'm going to go with Geb. I'm assuming it's a hard G, but I, I don't know. 
it's fantasy spelling. I'm surprised there aren't more apostrophes in like umlauts or whatever. Yeah, it's actually pronounced "eb." The G is silent. <laughs> yeah, no, I uh, we're go- we're gonna go with Geb. I assumed it was Geb as well. Um, it's Jif, by the way, but yeah, but Geb. <laughs> um, so. Yeah, like the storytelling is really cool. It's written, a, a lot of the early book is written from his perspective. And he's talking about, it's like, oh, yeah, when I started studying the undead, like, you know, I too thought of them as only servants and kind of tools to do the things that I needed to get done. But now that I'm undead, I'm beginning to realize that we're more than just tools for executing other people's whims. We have feelings and we have beliefs and we have emotions and we can be whole kingdoms. And when we need more people, it's it's a natural cycle. We go and we find the living, and we make them undead. Isn't that great? <laughs> You're talking like a necromancer. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I like that they they've leaned into kind of having a character tell the story, similar to Fifth Edition. They'll they'll have quips from named characters like Mordenkainen and Tasha in the sidebars for some of the books, but they've leaned into that a little heavier. So yeah whole pages of text written in first person. I don't know if I've seen that before from Pathfinder. So I thought that was a lot of fun. Yeah. I mean, I think it's really good. And and even this idea of like, there is this kingdom Geb founded by Geb who became a ghost. That's right. That's, that's a particular brand of undead. Uh, I, yes, I believe he became a ghost, but all of a sudden you asked and I forgot. No, that's fair. That's why we're doing this. <laughs> but yeah, like led a kingdom and there's a story in there somewhere where like actually he disappeared for a while and then he came back and he led his kingdom to go against or to basically run a war against the kingdom of the living and then took all of the people who died during that war and was like, Hey, welcome to our side. That's how this works, (laughs) which, you know, it's presented very lighthearted. Of course, you know, if you're a a DM or if you're a GM and, and your table like wants to take that kind of a a dark, mysterious path, you can hundred percent go that route. If you want this to be, Goofy Scooby-Doo skeletons, like it 100% will work. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Uh, So let's go ahead and jump into what's in it. So most parties, you're probably not going to want to be undead. So chapter one is for you. Chapter one is all about fighting undead. There are new backgrounds, including some really interesting rare backgrounds. Rare backgrounds are like, they're just like the the regular Pathfinder second edition backgrounds, but they're a little bit more powerful and a little little more unusual and interesting. So we get a few of those in um, a lot of the supplements. So is it reasonable to interpret the idea of rare of like if your if your game master says you can't be a common background, your game master is probably being a jerk. If your game master <laughs> says you can't be a rare background, there there probably is a story reason or a mechanics reason why look. Let's just not have that in this game. Yeah, absolutely. So Pathfinder 2nd Edition has that rarity system, common, uncommon, rare, and that's used for all kinds of things, um, ancestries, heritages, classes even, items. So like items like firearms are rare because they only exist in specific parts of the Galarian setting. Uh, and then the backgrounds might be uncommon or rare just because there aren't that many people that fall into those backgrounds. So those might not be available to you with, unless you get permission from your GM. So yeah, talk to your GM before you take any of those. Otherwise everyone in the party is going to come as like, I'm a princess. I'm the chosen one. I'm a descendant of vampire hunters and we're all going to go on weird adventures together. Actually, that does sound like a great campaign though. I, sure I wouldn't play in that. <laughs> yeah. And so it does make sense that, right. These undead fighting, uh, archetypes would be rare, 
because the last I checked, Galarian is not overrun by the undead. Most of it. Yeah. <laughs> there's there's regions now. <laughs> yes. There's new archetypes as well. Like we mentioned, there's an undead slayer, a couple other ones. These should be very easy to drop into an undead heavy game. So if you're going to be playing a campaign where you're going to be fighting a lot of undead, this is a great place to look. There's new items to help your undead hunter. Uh, all kinds of cool stuff should fit very neatly into an existing game. Yeah, one of the fun pieces of this was the idea of, like, folk remedies for dealing with the undead. Because you would have that, right? Like, I, I think in, in, in real history, it was like, oh, like, we we sprinkle parsnips over our doorstep, and that keeps the zombies out. Why? I don't know. They hate parsnips. <laughs> and so, yeah, in, in that first chapter, you're also getting a list of folk remedies to, like, combat or to prevent different types of undead. And so it, it's effectively, like, you know, a cool story of, like, try this, try this, and, and boom viewer undead in your face yeah i like that a lot and that's one of those things that's super easy to steal for any game you're running like just folk remedies to common problems like if if you have a town that's haunted by evil spirits everyone in town carries a uh, a feather duster made of crow feathers and waves it around to scare off the evil spirits like just stuff like that maybe it works maybe it doesn't folklore it's great yeah. if i were undead and i saw people waving around crow feathers like these people are crazy i'm getting out of here <laughs> in life i had allergies and i don't want to deal with bird dander <laughs> oh, the pollen is out in force i can sympathize oh god yeah imagine a sneezing skeleton <laughs> it's like a xylophone just going off just... <laughs> yeah so there were also one ancestry and i guess we'll dive further into that as well as archetype for being undead so if you thought playing a living character like that's a, that's a fun time it's a lot of fun what if i played an undead character yeah chapter two is all about playing undead characters and there's a lot of cool stuff in here uh, like you said we got one ancestry it's the skeleton and for some reason the skeleton is an ancestry every other kind of undead you can be as an archetype i don't know why they did it that way but it's kind of neat. I mean, my ancestors had skeletons. That's true. I can't say that any of my ancestors had zombies, so... Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> um, the, Although, I'm pretty sure there was a lich somewhere in there, but we're gonna... That's neither here nor there. <laughs> Let's not talk about that. Um, <laughs> so, there's two new archetypes for players who want to be or control undead. Sorry, let me rephrase that. There's a bunch of archetypes that make you undead. Zombie, lich, ghoul, etc. And then there's archetypes that are more traditional, like you don't have to die to become one. Uh, there's one for summoning and controlling a bunch of undead, and one for just being really good friends with undead. So there's everything you need in here to make undead work in a party. There's a new skill feat for using the treat wounds actions, so you don't have to constantly use magic to heal your undead buddies. and yeah, the skeleton like, ancestry may be the coolest thing I've ever seen. Yeah, so like you have this new Stitch Flesh, and, and we've seen this before uh, across tabletop where the idea of like, oh, well, I can't cast healing on a mechanical thing, so what am I going to do? Oh, I'm just going to say that, you know, now there's a feat and you can now put together these non-living things. And what is it really? It's just a Band-Aid to say we have to heal. <laughs> We're not going to say that the undead can't heal, so great, Stitch Flesh, go. Perfect. We're done, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and so, right, we get the reanimator. Uh, we also, one of the things that I thought was really cool was undead familiars. Yes. Uh, familiars, animal companions, and eidolons. Eidolons are the thing that summoners control. Uh, 
you can have basically any of those be undead. And there's some specific familiars, which is like, if you don't want to pick and choose your familiar's abilities, you can use what's called a specific familiar to get some specific stat block with like unique benefits. You can get a crawling claw, a talking skull, or an old friend, quote unquote. And the picture is a, uh, the ghost of a wiener dog. So, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's a skeletal cute. apparition of a wiener dog <laughs> who is still looking up at you out of the page adoringly because it loves you because it's yeah. an old friend <laughs> and yeah so it, that felt really cool it's 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 a lot of flavor in the undead world um w- without necessarily having like any real op yeah it's just fun okay but, okay you, you called this out a second ago probably the coolest thing in this section the skeletal ancestry i think it would actually be worth it for a second um because i don't know how many folks at home are playing pf2 um, can we lay out, like, how do you build a character? And then from there, kind of, okay, what is the rule of saying, like, I'm going to take the, the Skeletal Ancestry? Yeah, so to compare it to 5th edition D&D, your ancestry is your race, your heritage is your subrace, and class is the same thing, and background is kind of the same concept, but a little mechanically different. So you have your ancestry, your heritage, your background, and your class, and those are, like, the four primary decision points when you build your character at level one so the skeleton is your ancestry and there's some different skeleton heritages that have like different mechanical benefits but it's essentially like i could be a human or i could be a skeleton i'll be a skeleton eventually if i start as a human so why don't i just skip straight there i'm very bad at this tabletop gaming i'm gonna go straight to undead (laughs) yes (laughs) i think you call it one of the cool things there um one of the feats that the uh skeletal ancestry can take is the uh, what is it called is it called a, the adopted an- ancestry yes any ancestry can take the adopted ancestry feat which allows you to take ancestry feats from a different ancestry so i suppose technically anyone could be adopted by a skeleton and take skeleton feats which is confusing because one of the one of the skeleton feats is like if you're hit by a critical hit you can reduce it to a regular hit worth of damage by collapsing into a pile of bones so like uh, I'm a halfling. I've been bonked on the head. I'm a pile of bones now. It's fine. I'll stand up next turn. What's well, yeah, like the super flexible people who can like basically <laughs> just fall to the ground and like collapse into nothing. That's that's effectively what you do. It's like what happened? Well, I was raised by bones, and so this is <laughs> no perfect. Um, one of the things that I really liked that they called out, which makes sense, is they say like as the skeleton goes on over time, uh, an early skeleton, so to speak, a, a recent skeleton extracted from its flesh may not remember its full life in history, but as time goes on, they begin to gather flashes of this sort of thing. So they specifically call out, it makes sense for a skeleton to take the uh, adopted ancestry feat and then have the ability to blend in with society. So let's say, and, and it calls out, like, if you were a dwarf, probably your adopted ancestry, if you're a dwarf skeleton, I should say, probably your adopted ancestry should be dwarf. One of the specific things they called out that was cool was if you're wearing armor or clothing that fully covers you, you can non-magically disguise yourself as belonging to that race. So if you want to go out in a polite society and not have to deal with like, oh, they're bones, you can <laughs> you can get away with that. Yeah, you probably only get away with being a skeleton on Halloween and then you're just like, really convincing costume. <laughs> Look how well, yeah, it's cosplay. <laughs> you can sword right through, it's great. Um <laughs> yeah the 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 collapsing so that was a really cool thing if, if i remember correctly the trigger for that was on a critical strike you could reduce it to regular damage and so basically the idea is 
you know, somebody's coming at you, they get the critical strike. Uh, critical strike would be terrible amounts of damage. You can instead say, what if I just took regular damage? And effectively, it's, it's at the cost of going prone, right? Yeah. Exactly six seconds, actually, I think is the, that's how long a round is, you see. <laughs> now I'm going to have to go back and check. It might actually be six seconds, and that would just be such a fun coincidence. Yeah, here, here we are. I'm, yeah. I'm now inspired. My adopted ancestry is Turtle. <laughs> let's, let's play that game. Uh, what, what lore are you good at? Plumbing. It's really weird. <laughs> yeah, so I, I really liked the ancestry. Um, as far as the archetypes go, right, so... I know we've all been sitting at home and we've been thinking, you know what? I really want to play a game. Uh, I want to get into a tabletop. I want to play some Pathfinder, but I really want to be a zombie. <laughs> that definitely, if, if you want to be a zombie, you got to be, you got to play Pathfinder. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, there's an archetype for being a zombie and you typically, st you can, Typically, the earliest you can take an archetype is level two. So your level one character, you build them normally, and then at level two, you become a zombie. Who knows how? The book actually does say if you want to start as one of these archetypes, that's fine. Just make sure it's okay with your GM, and you just have to take the archetype feat at level two. So you can be a level one zombie character if you want to. Like, I, I'm a zombie um, cat person, and I don't know, I'm going to go jump on things and be be dead yeah and, and so right the to run through the list of archetypes that we get so ghost ghoul lich mummy vampire zombie one of the things they specifically call out uh, which caught me for a second because i actually started planning and the tyler was like whoa whoa, whoa you gotta stop um <laughs> it does specifically say that before your character becomes this thing they have to be living so unfortunately i can't be a skeletal ancestry which is undead, uh, necromancer wizard for class, lich archetype. Tragically, yes. Uh, you also can't be like a vampire zombie or whatever, any of those things. They are mutually exclusive, which is a little bit sad, but it makes sense. Maybe you can convince your, your GM to let you be like a, a vampire skeleton or something, but uh, rules is yeah. written, I'm pretty sure it's not allowed. Yeah, big skeleton, big fangs. <laughs> cool voice so the next section chapter three it's a hundred pages even of new monsters it starts off with some quick templates that you can apply to existing monsters to quickly change their stats from whatever they are into some variety of undead it's like uh i'm in a pinch i need a tiger ghoul for some reason so you just you just like throw these quick stat modifiers on them you're done. You've got your tiger ghoul. Wait, so what is a tiger ghoul like? It, it already craves flesh, but now it craves more flesh? Yes. Okay, terrifying. <laughs> Keep going. All right, that's fine. Yeah, so, I mean, that alone adds a massive amount of versatility to your monsters because your players are like, ah, yes, they are prepared to fight this troll next encounter or uh, next session or whatever, but are they prepared to fight a vampire troll? And, God, that's yeah, terrifying. Just, <laughs> it sure is, yeah. Just throw all this nonsense at your players, like make things undead unexpectedly. You could take a published adventure path and just make every monster in it random undead, and suddenly you've got an undead hunting campaign. Surprise. And, uh, so I guess this is interesting. So in 5e, like there is that description of like, if you want to turn anything into a zombie, you give it the reanimate, 
uh, we're not going to call it a feed, but yeah, it's effectively the same idea as a feed. You drop its intelligence to some, you know, absolute garbage number, and then you party on. And, and so here we're getting that, but we're actually getting it additionally. It's like, okay, you don't just have to go zombie and be stupid. You could go vampire and be charming, or you could go ghoul and be, I don't know, smelly. What's hungry? Yes, 100%. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, and so the idea that like, okay, well, here's your entire book of monsters and we can add this modifier. I don't know. I thought that it's a nice amount of flexibility that probably is also borrowable. Yeah, it's the specific mechanical changes might need a little bit of adjusting if you want to try and do the same thing in 5e. I'm sure someone somewhere has figured out a way to do this. And if they haven't, internet, get on it. But that's just the first two pages of the 100-page monster section. And there's a bunch of new monsters, a lot of which are really, really cool. Like, there's this undead thing that appears if you mess up raising somebody from the dead. And it's like, I, I have messed up this ritual very, very badly, and now this terrifying, terrifying undead creature comes and attacks me, and I can't raise my friend from the dead until it's destroyed. There's cool stuff like that. There's, like, full two- and three-page spreads of just lore on existing monsters, like wraiths and vampires. And it's all written in first person from the perspective of Geb, the uh, ghost necromancer with the nation named after him. Uh, you could very easily steal all of that lore for pretty much any other game. A lot of it's really cool. There's two new varieties of vampire based on real-world lore, one that drains emotions and one that drains key. Uh, I believe the key one is based in Chinese mythology, and I cannot pronounce the name. I'm so sorry. No, that's fair. So w when I was looking, one of the creatures that jumped out at me is the cadaverous rake. Um, the picture is a skeleton wearing very like flamboyant clothing, like <laughs> bandana piercings, like all of this sort of thing. And like uh, it's a, a famed sword fighter who died and then rose from the dead to be continue being an awesome sword fighter as an undead. And I'm looking and it's like, it's Captain Jack Sparrow. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> yeah, no, 100%. But like, okay, if, if you have the book at home, open it up, look at the art. 100%. It's, it's Captain Jack Sparrow. You know, there, there's going to be one of them, and they're going to be awesome. And I think you should probably just invite them to come into your party. Well, now I want to play a skeleton swashbuckler. That sounds great. great. Exactly. <laughs> Skeletons can get a feat where you take one arm, dislocate your other arm, and hold on to it as a handle, and can hold a weapon in the hand of that arm. <laughs> So you've got, you've got like two arms length worth of reach with a weapon and just fight people from all the way over here. Yeah. Uh, I like it a lot. I want, I, I want to see a cadaverous rake actually do that in a game. It's like, <laughs> I've got a 10 foot reach. What, are you, what do you have? <laughs> all right. So chapter four, that's lands of the dead. So if you're, if you're familiar with the Galarian setting, this covers some pre-existing locations in the world of Galarian in more detail. I think the one that gets the most coverage is the land of Geb because it's this massive nation ruled by undead. Uh, there are some smaller locations touched on. Well, I shouldn't say smaller, but locations that get less coverage like Osirian, which is the, the Galarian equivalent of ancient Egypt. It goes into essentially places where there are lots of undead, what the undead do there and how that place came about. Like a few of the places were like, Oh yeah, it was a normal place. And then undead came out of nowhere and ate everybody. And now it's an undead metropolis. It's great. If you're using the Galarian setting and if you're doing an undead hunting campaign or a campaign where you're playing as undead, these are places that are probably going to feature heavily. If you want to be undead heroes, you can use the nation of Geb and be like, okay, we're undead or undead adjacent. 
everyone else here is cool with undead and other than that this is a perfectly normal adventuring campaign like we are going to go plunder ancient ruins for loot we're going to go fight people that want to disrupt the nation that we love things like that yeah you just you essentially flip the roles on its head all the like bad guys are your good aligned clerics and occasionally like these evil living people come in and they're like oh we hate you because you're undead and like but i made cheese what are you doing to me One of my favorite details about Gev is the living and the dead are split into, like, two classifications. There is the quick, and there is the dead, which is a a goofy movie reference. Um, The quick are the living because they live and die very quickly compared to the dead, and then the dead are the dead. I thought that was a fun joke. Whoever wrote that, Paizo, I see you. Good job. Uh, So the last section of the book is an undead-themed adventure. So this is one of those adventures that assumes that the players are living characters or on the side of the living at the very least and are coming there to fight undead. I'm not going to give you any spoilers, but the adventure looks like a ton of fun. It's an adventure for a party of four level three characters. Expect to fight undead, so, you know, bring your cleric, bring a paladin, stuff like that holy water load up with items from the first chapter get ready to go Uh, the adventure does have a content warning on the first page of the adventure with just some like hey here's some themes that might make you uncomfortable so like clear that with your party beforehand do a session zero make sure the themes of the adventure aren't going to upset anyone you know check out our session zero episode for advice on that And again, I won't spoil it too much, but there is kind of a siege mechanic about halfway through the adventure that's just an absolute ton of fun. It looks like a lot of fun to play, and I'm kind of sad that I read it because now no one can run it for me without me spoiling all the surprises. So I am sad, but for those of you who haven't read it, go play it. It looks like so much fun. Yeah, so luckily we drew lots and I won lots and I didn't have to read it. So at this point, I think the answer is, Tyler, you have to run the game for me. Uh, I will bear this burden. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> Out of character, uh, do we know what levels it runs through? Like how how long? I think it's it, it probably wouldn't even get you to level four. Okay. Like it's short. Okay, so it, it's a one shot effectively? Probably. Like one, maybe two sessions. Okay, back to radio voice, you should say that. So this adventure is probably not going to get you to level four. I haven't counted up all of the experience points. I wasn't that crazy. Um, But it does look like a lot of fun. You could probably run this in one or two sessions, assuming you don't get super bogged down in combat. But it's a great way to test out the mechanics. If your party is like, hey, we're in the middle of a game. This isn't an undead hunting game that we're in. But we do want to, like... We want to play with the Book of the Dead. It looks super cool, and we want to hunt some undead. This is a great way to do it. Just roll up some characters for a one-shot, play one or two sessions, however long it takes you to get through. It's a great way to show off all the cool stuff that's new in the book. Yeah, and, and I really like it exactly for that, right? So having having something that is like one long session or two shorter sessions, Two shorter sessions, yes. <laughs> giving like giving folks, okay, here's everything that's in the book. Here's what we can do. You know, the, the one thing I'll say here is the fact that you're actually starting on the living maybe doesn't allow you to do some of the coolest stuff in the book because I think some of the coolest stuff in the book is starting as an undead. You know, for folks who have read like the, the Witcher series, for instance, uh, one of the characters is a very ancient, very wise vampire. 
And it's always this situation that he has to hide who he is when they're around polite society, because otherwise it's going to be problematic. Like playing an undead vampire using these rules would be a lot of fun because you could bring that vampire to polite society. Zombie, a little harder, especially after the first time your nose gets chopped off, then it's just like, ah, <laughs> leprosy, leprosy. Uh, also, don't cook the meat. But but yeah, I, I like the idea of like being able to come into it, play a little bit, get everybody familiar with the, the mechanics that are brought into this book, the lore that's brought into the book. And then at that point, if you want to bring it back to a regular campaign and kind of sprinkle this in to just make it part of your Pathfinder world, and uh, to me, that feels really powerful. All right. Well, thanks so much for joining us for this RPGBot.News. I'm Randall James. You can find me at AmateurJack.com and on Twitter and Instagram at JackAmateur. I'm Tyler Campstow. You'll find me at RPGBot.net, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at RPGBOTDOTNET, and Patreon.com slash RPGBot. All hail the Leisure Illuminati. You'll find affiliate links for source books and other materials linked in the show notes. Following these links helps us to make this show happen every week. You can find our podcast wherever fine podcasts are distributed. If you enjoy the podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe and share it with your friends. If I have this skeleton arm attached to my skeleton arm, I can reach all the way across the room and steal your milkshake. <laughs> <laughs>